1901, a woman by the name of Annie Taylor climbed into a barrel so that she could ride that barrel over Niagara Falls, the first person to do so. The reason for her crazy endeavor? She was struggling to make ends meet, and she was hoping for fame and financial security. It's Ryan from United Faith Mortgage, a faith and family mortgage team that tries to improve your financial outlook without having to ship you over a 170-foot waterfall. Our mortgage team happens to be an arm of a bigger company who is a direct lender, which means our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls. There's no middleman. This advantage often allows us to get you a better rate, which can save you monthly and lifelong money through a refinance, or help you with a cash-out refinance, cashing out some of your home's equity to use for life. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah. We're going to get into a conversation now about how to be a good neighbor. Yeah, it's called Neighborliness, and this is a book actually written by David Dukeson. And David, we uh, David's coming to town actually next week, and we're going to learn a little bit about this concept of neighborliness with him and see how some of the things that he's implementing in different areas of the country may be a benefit to those of us who live here in the Tennessee Valley. David, welcome to Mornings with Tom and Toby. Thanks so much for having me. It's uh, such an honor to be on the show with you guys and uh, excited to be in Chattanooga next week. Yeah, that's going to be oh. great. So so get us caught up. First of all, tell us about this word that you created called neighborliness and tell us about the concept. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm a, uh, a church planter and pastor and kind of, you know, community advocate um, trying to, you know, I think a lot about Acts 420. I can't stop talking about the things that I've seen and heard that God has done and um, our second church plant in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, was situated right on the dividing line between the rich and the poor in our city. And we started to realize that we had people walking to church from one neighborhood that was a half million dollars and up, uh, you know, in value of their home. And then the other neighborhood was, you know, perpetually in pervasive generational poverty. And, you know, you could buy a home there for $30,000 and these were neighbors and it was on one uh, two-lane road called Berry Hill, and very rarely did neighbors cross that road. And um, and so we just learned a lot of lessons about what it meant for us to truly connect across the dividing lines of race and economics and politics and religion. And um, and I just kept on thinking about the greatest commandment, you know, like you know, Book of Mark and you know, Book of Luke, and multiple places Jesus has asked, "What's the most important command?" And he says to love God and neighbors. And the word neighborliness actually came to me while I was doing my doctoral research, which I did on something called holistic community development. How do we engage our communities with the love and the compassion of Jesus? And I just I just saw this really whimsical word in a very um, kind of a dense book on on economics. And it kept on saying the spirit of neighborliness would compel us to have an economic, you know, uh, reality where all of our neighbors benefited. And I remember thinking to myself, now that is a mouthful, you know, the word neighborliness, and nobody uses it. Now I was like, I'm going to take it. <laughs> and, so, and so we, you know, we started to use that word neighborliness to talk about crossing dividing lines, and it was just a little bit less intimidating, and it invited people into something that maybe they hadn't considered through the lens of this beautiful faith that we have 
And so neighborliness to me means embodying the presence of Jesus to the world around us. Embodying the presence of Jesus to the world around us. I love that. And uh, we have a neighborhood all around us here at at our station at Moody Radio. We've, Uh We've had lots of conversations about how we can be more neighborly how can how we can engage and uh, it is um it is a lower income area it is racially diverse um and so we've you know we've done some prayer walks and things like that but for the average person um maybe they're just in their own neighborhood and they're hanging out with their own friends how do you become neighborly to a whole nother group of people yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And, and, and honestly, Tavi, I think that people are asking that all over the country and different parts of the world. I don't think that this is unique to one city, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. if we remember correctly, the, the enemy, wake, you know, doesn't wake up, but every day has the same plan, steal, kill, destroy. Mm-hmm. And so we're constantly trying to fight against the division in our culture because of a spiritual plan to steal and kill and destroy. Um, the prayer that I pray is that we know that God is stronger. And so what do we do? Well, we have to lean into the scriptures and, and how did Jesus live and how did he behave? And that's why I like saying that we embody the presence of Jesus to the world around us. Now, the thing that I would say for the listeners that are with us today is I would say to develop our instincts about relationships. Um, building relationships is no different. I mean, if you just get to the very bottom line about building relationships with somebody, it would be the same with anybody. Now, the difference is that sometimes we don't have the right instincts that have been developed to know how to connect with people that are different than us. A lot of people connect with people that come from the same backgrounds as them because there's a lot more to talk about. And so the thing that I would say um, to the listeners this morning and to you know folks that may join later uh, on this conversation would be that I think that instincts are developed through, um, through lived experience and knowledge. And so look at your calendar. Like, do you have relationships with anybody from, from a different background? You know, like with anybody from a lower economic class, or if you're in a lower economic class, a higher economic class, and the relationship will start to develop the instinct. But then also, I think that we need to take some time. And we saw this in the last couple of years. We saw this in the last couple of years as, you know, we dealt with, um, an uprising about racial awareness and economic awareness, like in a way that we haven't seen in you know several decades, mm-hmm. where I think that we can just start to start to learn more. We can start to, in, you know, like um, behind the scenes. I remember, I'll never forget this, y'all. I, I had a, a friend of mine that said to me, um, David, I don't want to be your teacher about these things. I want to be your friend. If you would go and read a book about the issues that you want to talk about, economic inequality or racial divides in our country or inequality or whatever it may be, I'll talk to you about that book, but I don't want to be your teacher. I want to be your friend. And so I think that it's those two things that Mm -hmm. we develop our base of knowledge and we develop our base of relationships. Mm. This is a powerful conversation with David Dukasen. So, David, um, we were talking just a little bit off air about how to do certain types of relationships. And I just wanted to uh, dive back into that. I was talking about how it's actually harder, I think, to have friendships that are cross um, economic than to have Mm -hmm. cross racial friendships. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Because when you are um, let's say or either one, if you are the person who's in a struggling place constantly and then you are trying to make friends with somebody who's coasting through life financially and and they've 
got a huge, beautiful home and a boat and they travel overseas for vacations. It's hard to figure out how you're going to do life together. And if you're the person who's who has a pretty easy life financially, like how do you connect with somebody who's struggling and they're always struggling without becoming the savior in that relationship? Mm. You know, just keeping it healthy. Like I really I think about that. And I think, how do how do you do it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, first and foremost, I think that there's there's two things, instincts that we can develop. One is courage and the other is curiosity. Um, I think that the courage to jump into relationships across dividing lines that many people wouldn't. And then the curiosity to just keep on asking questions. And so when you put those two things together, all of a sudden we start to develop a real interest in another person. Um, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with setting boundaries either, where, you know, uh, if somebody is a, from a higher economic class and is building a relationship with somebody from a lower economic class, there's nothing wrong with setting expectations of, of what, you know, somebody is comfortable with as it relates to finances and help and different things like that. But I think that what, what we lack in our culture is the desire to listen in the way that Jesus listened. Um, we're not trying to bring solutions to every relationship that we have. Jesus spent a lot of time asking really good questions, and then he stuck around long enough to get to the bottom of what was really going on in different situations. And I think that there's so much to be gained, so much perspective on life and faith and community when we cross the dividing lines of race and economics. Um, and I agree with you that sometimes that can be even harder as it relates to economics. But I think that if we have the courage to ask good questions, curiosity to keep on learning, I think that all of a sudden we're going to see ourselves um, growing in ourselves, but also growing in relationship and perspective on life and faith and culture. Mm, oh, I love that. You're hearing the voice of Dr. David Dukasen. And, and what you just said is really powerful. But let, let me ask this question, because it seems like many of us enter relationships like that as if we have the answers, right? But you said that Jesus goes in with the questions and gets to the deeper issue. Is is that kind of the, the bottom line that really will help us actually get across these lines? Is not coming at it from a point of view of saying, I've got the answers. It's just like, I've got nothing but questions and start there. That's a, that's a great question. I, you know, one of the biggest lessons that I learned uh, you know, in life and parenting and, you know, we got four teenage kids and, and, you know, a lot of community work. We've, we've started six nonprofit organizations in the last 15 years. Here's what I've learned about what you just asked. I'm not called to save anybody. Mm -hmm. um, when I look at the scriptures, it says that I'm supposed to be a faithful witness to the things that I've seen and heard. Um, the Holy Spirit draws all unto himself, right? And so I can speak to things um, and speak without, I don't have to be an expert on economics to cross the dividing lines of economics. I don't have to be an expert in, you know, relations across racial lines. Um, I don't, we don't even have to agree on every matter of faith to be friends or culture or whatever. I think that when we take interest in each other, we've tapped into an elemental human uh, behavior, right? Where somebody, I always tell my son this, I have my 19 year old son, uh, you can, you never have to be stuck in a conversation because you just have to ask somebody else, what's your favorite color or what is your favorite, whatever, you know, what's your favorite sports team or where did you last go? You know, it's somewhere fun. People love talking about themselves. And what we've done though, is we go into relationships a lot of times thinking that these are people to be saved rather than in relationships to be enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we can develop that instinct of like viewing the other 
as somebody who is brilliant and beautiful and, and has a story so we can tap into that story. That okay. Is a, yeah, go ahead, Toby. I was just going to say, this is going to revolutionize missions, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're going in to build relationships and uh, to glean and to, to give, but as a friend. And David, if I could just take, because that's the grassroots level. That, that is truly where we're starting is a relationship level. And I'm just wondering if you could take us up to the 30,000 foot level now, because I know you're coming to town next week. You're going to be talking about things like this and how we can really get across those socioeconomic, racial, political lines and things like that, how we can actually uh, do this as a community. Um, so, so there's got to be a place where those two intersect, the individual relationship level and the process behind it. How do we do that? Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, I think that the local church, the body of Christ is vital. Um, the prevailing metaphor for a healthy body, uh, for the healthy community is the body. Right. And so we need everybody. Jesus is at the head. And so we need people from the suburbs and we need people from the big, you know, churches that, that may have more concentrations of wealth. We need people from, you know, inner city communities and, and, and underprivileged communities. But we need everybody working together. Right. And so during my doctoral work um, and there's no way in the next 30 seconds I'm going to be able to explain all of this, <laughs> but maybe whet some folks appetite to, you know, maybe come out next week to to hear um, some more, we put together a framework that is based on just black and white research. You know, like, how do you help families break cycles of poverty? And we've started to engage churches and cities all across the country and different parts of the world with a framework of four different areas of creating equitable access to education, employment, healthcare, and affordable housing. And so we I mean, I have a meeting here in the next 30 minutes where we literally put on the wall, who do we know in these areas of education, employment, healthcare, housing? Now, all of a sudden, we're bringing the influence of some of the folks that maybe live in the uptown sky rises or maybe in the suburbs and the beautiful communities with, paired with the relationships, the trust and the need that we find in underprivileged communities. And now all of a sudden we start saying, OK, if we if we truly believe that that God loves every single person, then we need to start solidifying access to these areas. And we've seen it happen in multiple places around the country now where God is using the body of Christ to impact communities in really practical ways.